I'm looking at this man's face through the sight of my weapon. I can't even express <laughs> what that was like. Hey everyone, it's your friend Wayman, back from an amazing few days, sort of vacation in uh, Santa Cruz, that's just two and a half hours by train and bus. Um, from San Francisco, really, really beautiful, much quieter than the big city, um, but it's this compact city, uh, with, um, much fewer people, it's much less noisy, as I said before, right on the beach, several beaches, cliffs, it really reminded me of, um, of, uh, the, the cliffs and beaches in southern Portugal and like the Algarve really it's it's not as warm of course but just comparably beautiful um, well at the same time having lots of forests which I love and hills and hiking trails wildlife um, I had my bike at the, um, for, for the uh, for the trip just biked around the coast uh, around bike paths uh, in, um, in the in the woods, uh, in little small ranches. There's a place called Wilder Ranch. Uh, had a really, really cool uh, pair of uh, horses that I got to feed. Same thing on the campus of the of UC Santa Cruz. Um, on the on the farm, some cows warily came up to me and uh, ate grass out of my hands. So that was cool. It's cool little time if you ever get a chance definitely do yourself the favor and go down to Santa Cruz. Uh, but now I'm back, and I'm late on this week's delivery of the pot. We're already into the next week, I guess, but sorry about that. But uh, I had to enjoy myself over there and didn't have my computer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but here's this, this week's episode. Um, delivered now three days late. And I usually send them out upload them on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, about three days late, well, I'm editing this on Monday, three or four days late, anyway, sorry, um, this one's a little extra, extra long, it was a very fascinating discussion with my friend Jamie, um, about his time in the Marine Corps, uh, but first, let's get this business out of the way, um, if you want to support the Fun Boat Diplomacy podcast, uh, you can always, always go on Amazon, uh, my Amazon portal. Don't just go on Amazon because it won't work. Go on my Amazon portal. Go on um, my website, funboatdiplomacy.com. You'll find the portal link uh, on the right side of all of my pages. It's this little gray box that says Amazon portal. Um, if you click on that link and shop normally as you would on Amazon, Amazon gives me a small cut and uh, helps me out a lot. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Uh, and another thing, as always, um, my affiliation with the Pacific Trade Winds Hostel here in San Francisco. Um, a lot of my guests are guests at the hostel. Jamie's one of them too. Um, and if you come to stay here, which I recommend, if you especially haven't 
if you haven't come to the city of San Francisco, you can get a $3 discount using my discount code WaymansFriend3. That's W-E-I-M-I-N-S-F-R-I-E-N-D-3. Just get a $3 discount on each of your nights here at Pacific Trainwinds. Let's hang out. What do you got to lose? Come on. This comes up for like 32 bucks. Uh, actually, the prices are going up. Maybe not 32 bucks. Maybe like 36 But, uh, yeah. Just come on. Come in. Be a guest. <laughs> Don't be shy. Don't be a stranger. Come visit. And... So, yeah. Those are the plugs for this week. I know you love those. Uh, I wish it could be more interesting, like the way Duncan Trussell does his um, on his podcast. I don't know how many of you guys listen to Duncan Trussell Family Hour. I've been showing, um, been showing some of my friends his uh, just the just the um, the plug parts. He he plugs uh, Casper mattresses of all of all companies. He, he sells mattresses um, as a plug for his podcast, um, but. Yeah, he does it really well, and I don't seem to do it that well. But anyway, all that aside, let's get down to business into this week's episode uh, with my friend Jamie Mandela. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. I'm here today with Jamie Mandela. Welcome, Jamie. Hello there. How's it going today on this rainy day? It is a rainy day. Yeah, so that, that, that should explain a lot. It's wicked, guess, wicked rainy, and possibly be like, it's wicked raining hot out there. <laughs> uh, do you want to introduce yourself very briefly to the podcast audience? Um, my name is Jamie Mandela, uh, 42 years old, uh, originally from um, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, born in Worcester, and uh, I uh, just came from Washington, D.C. I've been out for about six months. Looking forward to the, I know the rain is really good to have out here right now, but I'm looking forward to uh, spending as much time outside um, as I've worked real lot the last few. And uh, that's pretty much it for right now. For right well, now. Yeah. Yeah. So I was interested when just a couple of days ago you yeah. uh, shared with me your uh, the fact that you were in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. How long were you in? I was in for four years. Four years right after college or during... Or no, or no, actually, or? no, I tried to do the, uh, I, I did the acceleration program. Uh, I, I, I I took the bait. Um, uh, right at the beginning? Yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah. I actually tried to uh, <clears throat> skip my senior year of high school mm-hmm. to go in, uh, as I was in uh, the Marine Corps pool program, which is, you sign up and uh, you get to hang out with the uh, recruiter officer, so... From since I was a sophomore, I was always down the office, always doing the police stuff, and was trying to leave early. So I actually missed, I missed my senior prom. I went, uh, I was in boot camp instead of uh, going to my senior prom, and uh, I guess they both kind of suck. Yeah, I don't know. I think the pro, the, the pro, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure which one would have been more painful, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, no, I was I was kind of in a rush to get get involved there. Mm. Yeah, I remember we had like during lunchtime at high school, mm-hmm. they would have the guy with the the uniform on, and then the the, the table stuff set up, and uh, I put my name down for something because I just wanted this free T-shirt that said Marine Corps on it. That's the worst and then, choice you could have ever made in your life. I think they called me once, and I was like, no, I'm not interested, and then that was it. But um, I I figured now what they were doing, 
they had all these treats to entice you and everything. Yeah, you're one of the lucky ones. Normally, if you get on some sort of, like, a call list, um, uh, they wouldn't stop. It's almost like people, uh, you know, telemarketers, they, uh, they wouldn't give up. They had their quotas. I come to find out later, after being in for a while, uh, the amount of pressure that is put on them to come up with quotas and to grab people and, you know, you don't want to put blanket things out there, but, you know, the lengths to which they will recruit and uh, what they'll do to get their numbers is, uh, uh, they can be pretty extreme at times. That's so <laughs> scary. Yeah. And is this every branch that does this? I think so. Uh, it's hard to tell because uh, when I was, when I first went in, there was, uh, what, in 1990. The end of 1991. Uh, so then uh, a bunch of things have happened since then. That's, uh, initially we had a really huge military buildup to that point, um, and it was really easy to get. Now halfway through, or going through the ends of my, uh, into my enlistment, um, Bill Clinton took over office, and I remember while going through my schooling that they were doing cuts. There was cuts that was going, military cuts. So then that sort of changed. So I don't know how... Uh, how more aggressive, less aggressive, um, but I'd imagine with the wars that came afterwards, um, and not as many people joining, that uh, mm -hmm. you know, they'll take take as many people as they can. <laughs> yeah. So, what did your career look like from from start to to end? Oof. Well, <clears throat> give us a chronology. Well, to tell the truth, when you're going in, uh, uh, you know, it's a different time now. Uh, the internet was a uh, you know, not really readily available. Um, you're getting most of your information based off of TV, you know, paper, newspapers. Uh, it's funny how long that seems ago. But, uh, and so uh, y you trusted a little bit more. I would say I had a background of not really, you know, completely 100% trusting the government. My father was like a, um, he was a religious, he was a preacher if you will. So there were certain things that I was raised with where, you know, this, you know, the government and stuff like that didn't have your best interest. Mm -hmm. But uh, by no means was uh, the amount of information out there that's out there now. So I would say that there was a certain amount of um, not really understanding what I was getting myself involved into that happened. Um, but nonetheless, you know, me and my best friend, we joined. I think, you know, we, 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 he actually lives out here. We've been best friends for 40 years since we were two years old. So uh, we decided to join the Marines together. And for the most part, uh, you know, started off having a good time. You, uh, you know, Marine Corps boot camp was really interesting. If you want to, uh, if you want to, if you're a little masochistic, and, and I seem to have a little bit of that. I, they nicknamed me Recruit Smiley because they knew that they could make me um, lose my bearing. So I bit so many holes on the inside of my uh, lip as to not smile, and uh, that didn't help. So uh, they seem to like that, though. They like the idea that, that you could be punished and punished and punished, and you found something humorous in it. <laughs> it's funny when you get older that you find <laughs> that's not as much of a skill as you really want it to be. So um, it was awesome. I came to find out that I was... Uh, <clears throat> really good at shooting um, uh, with the rifle. I had never shot anything prior to it. I, I don't think I was like 
old enough or wise enough to say pacifist or not pacifist, you know, you kind of thought to yourself that United States of America, for the most part, we're the good guys. Mm -hmm. You know, we're the good guys. We go in there, you know. You know, I didn't have this, you know, idea of Americans being dressed in the white robes and everything. But for the most part, I, 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 I thought that, you know, it was, it was, you know, we were there to do pretty much good things. And, um, where was I going with that? That's funny. Well, I was asking just from the start oh, to the beginning. So, the, um, so yeah, so I go? found out that um, I was really good with the rifle. Um, it was funny, too, when we were in the rifle range. Uh, I was shooting. I almost shot a perfect score on this thing. And uh, I was so not used to being around the weapon. And one day I was sitting on my ammo box when we were at the range. And uh, all of a sudden my my instructor looked at me. He goes, he goes can I swear? Okay. He's like, he's like, hey man, Dolly, you want to blow your fucking head off? And I had realized that I had the rifle, uh, my M16A2 was like propped up right, right underneath my chin. Shit. And I was just, it was hot out, so I was like resting. I was like, ugh. But that's how removed I was from the fact that the thing I was carrying was dangerous. A, was a weapon. So, you know, you graduate boot camp. Um, it's funny when people say it put them in the best shape of their life because I think they, it mean, you know, back then it was, it was like you, you were thinner. Yeah. Then normal, but I would say you know my joints and everything like that. Uh, you know I graduated 162 pounds, and uh, I went in and I was I was like 190 pounds, but I had a lot of muscle. I was in pretty good shape. So uh, you know some people like if you're out of shape you lose weight. I don't know if that's changed, but you get beat up. Um, so graduated from there, went to the School of Infantry, which is in North Carolina. Um, where you do basic warfare um, school and school of infantry. You just, you know, you just further that. Every Marine is a basically trained infantry Marine, so you just take it through there. So uh, graduated from the school of infantry <clears throat> and flew over to uh, uh, Camp Pendleton, California. Uh, it was really exciting for me. I remember first time seeing California. Uh, from the plane, I looked down, I saw mountains and uh, I think we were going. I think we were going over Arizona, and I think off in the distance I saw that. So I was like, "Oh, this is, you know, the gateway to the rest of my life." You know what I mean? All these possibilities are so swirling optimistic. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I well, the thing is, is then you know we, you know we pulled it to San Diego. We had a, uh, you know, a couple of days before we had to check into our unit, mm -hmm. and uh, went out. The beach is there. It was gorgeous. You know. Uh, at that point in time, you know what I mean? Uh, we had a chance to like lift weights. So we were the quintessential idiot jarheads. Do you, do you think that's intentional that they put it there? That they put the, the base there? Where in, in San Diego? In San Diego. Well, nothing could be more different. Because if you look at the, at the two recruiting depots that they have, mm -hmm. you have Paris Island, South Carolina, right. and then you have the San Diego one. There could be no bigger difference between, you know, they call the West Coast Marines Hollywood Marines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I want to be a, I want to be East Coast Marine, but I'm going to Hollywood right after. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, I definitely chose to come out here, but <clears throat> I did find that it's really odd because you know, in boot camp, on the East Coast, you pull on the island. They would do it at like two, three o'clock in the morning. You've been traveling for like, you know, twelve, thirteen hours. You're disoriented. The, uh, the drill instructors. Uh, that's funny. That brought me back. So they they'll they'll drive you onto the island. You have to have your head down, 
and you don't know where you are. You don't know where you are anyway, so it's not even like you'd have a frame of reference. And they'll drive around a little bit, and then they pull up, and you're on these, uh, you're sitting in there, and it's really quiet, and then the doors to the bus open, and then... And it just ha it just starts happening. I want you out now, and you start running out now. And it's funny because all you have to do is stand on these yellow foot pr feet print out there, and it's amazing how hard that is to do when you're that afraid and that disoriented. Because all of a sudden you think you know what you're doing. You have another drill instructor said, "Why are you gonna put feet over here?" And this guy's yelling at you over there, and um, you know you're in this black hole. So it's funny to think of what that's like, you know when you do that in San Diego, I always tried to wonder because psychologically you're like, I could not escape from this place. You know, in my mind, and you hear stories about people trying to escape and going into the swamps and alligators eating them. A lot of them made up. Happened a few times, I guess. But then you think of the San Diego stuff and it's like, you could be like, man, I can just jump over that fence. Yeah, I'm done There's with a this bar now. right there. <laughs> There's a bar right there. You can just decide you don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, you can. <laughs> well, people would do it. They just kind of, I mean, and the other thing is, is you had the airplanes flying right over you because yeah. it's right by the, it's right by there. So, so yeah. that, that was an interesting thing. So coming over here, you know, I was really excited. The weather was beautiful. Um, then I eventually went to uh, my unit which was the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, hoorah, uh, the Walking Dead, if you will, which is a very famous unit from the Vietnam era, um, not because of, uh, not because of uh, their awesome abilities, but uh, they were the most decimated, uh, the only, uh, only, uh, only battalion to ever lose their, their colors. Um, they they had been uh, when you look back at Vietnam and you hear these stories about people going through and cutting off ears and wearing them around their necks and stuff. That was the unit that was one nine. They were very barbaric. They were very vicious. And <clears throat> what had happened was, is they were uh, um, there was like I think four NVA divisions that allowed like four other battalions of Marines to pass through where they were. And they were waiting for one nine, and uh, when they came through, they just—I think six or seven people survived. Or something like they had wiped out almost everybody, and they lost their colors. So, came as part of the Walking Dead, though. We had really cool shirts, with the Grim Reaper and stuff. So it was cool, you know. What I mean, it's cool, but I mean, it was definitely not because of, you know, because they did some good stuff. So, went in there, and uh, you uh, trying to start settling in. Uh, you know, you're fresh out of boot camp too, so, you know, there's, you go from different levels of, uh, you know, people messing with you, and even though you don't think that in boot camp or something like that, that, uh, that, um, that you're getting the crap kicked out of you, if you will, once you get to the fleet, there's less rules, so, you have to deal with that, then you fall in line, and you start going through your, uh, going through your training. So I uh, came out here, hooked up with my unit. Um, back then we were doing 18 month float cycles, which means like a Westpac. So like you would do, uh, it was like a year buildup of training and then you would pump out for six to eight months. You'd go on float. Then you come back and you'd have off time. I know when I get out, they, they shrunk that down to like almost no time back at shore and a lot of training. So the training was really cool. Uh, we were, uh, uh, 13th 
when we did float out, we were 13th Expeditionary Unit. Um, we were MUSOC, which is Marine Expeditionary Unit Special Operations Capable. So we were a rapid, uh, we were a rapid um, deployment uh, special operations capable group. So we did a lot of cross-training um, with uh, house clearings and stuff. That, so it's just like advanced in infantry, take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, I was attached to TOES, which is a weapons, uh, weapons company, which is uh, a uh, long-distance tank destroyer, <laughs> which is cool. I got to shoot one of those in Somalia. Uh, they're four, they were 14, this was 20 years ago, they were $14,800 per missile. So I can only imagine what they cost now. Uh, I know that there's I've revamped that system. So, um, so we're part of weapons platoon. So you blew up how much money in one one go? Fourteen thousand. Uh, that fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand and one. Well, I hit my target too. Yeah, yeah. But when we when we finally because when you get you, it wasn't very often that you got a chance to shoot them. Yeah. Some some people would go through the whole time of not being able to shoot. I got to shoot a lot of stuff. <laughs> I did. I got to shoot not awesome. not a lot of missiles, but I mean I got to. I got to blow up stuff. I got to use a lot of different weapons. It was it was cool. It was it was cool. I'll never think that it was. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It's forty five hundred meters. You can, you shoot this thing. The sad thing about the tow system is, if you sh when you shoot it, see what you you can mount it on a tripod, and it's extremely heavy. This is big. This is not shoulder fired at right. all, or on the back of a Humvee. And you get the target up there. You get it off in the distance, and you have, um, there's a gyro that goes off. You have to make sure your back blast area is clear or you're going to kill your A-gunner. Right. Like, the, I think it's like 15 meters. It's like you don't want to be back there. It's attached to some wires, but when you shoot it off, all of a sudden you hear a gyro go off. Go, and then, you hear a pop, and then it's kind of like you can't see anything for a second. So, the story being is... At that point, you have to freeze, and you have to give yourself, like, a few seconds and make sure you don't move that, because a lot of new gunners will, they'll dump it. They'll dump the missile. <laughs> they'll dump the missile in, like, 15 meters, because the backblast, all of a sudden, they jerk, and it goes down. So, yeah. so uh, I didn't waste 14,800. <laughs> I hit mine, but there was a lot of wasted... Wait, was this in training, or was it... No, training, you almost never would do it. So you would do so training afterwards. Went. No, it would be training afterwards. There was nothing... Uh, this was a psychological operation that we were doing in, in Somalia. What we would do is we go north of Mogadishu, and we'd set up all these ranges, and we'd blow stuff up. It was training, but at the same time, it was... It, it was, was a purpose. It was psychological operations. Yeah. Them. I mean, you're blowing up massive amounts of things up. So, mm -hmm. so uh, did that. So, like I said, floated out, floated out with them. Eventually, went through my entire training cycle. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Like I said, shot fifty cal, shot Mark nineteen. Uh, I wanted to fight a fire a dragon. That was another thing, like a tow. Like you never get a chance to do that. Um, my teal weapon that I carried with me, I had an M249 saw, which is a Swiss, yeah, uh, almost like a little baby M60. Yeah. Little, uh, little, well, it's not little, but it's... A, yeah, 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 yeah. It little, was a little earth and stuff. It's a beautiful weapon. It's, it's, yeah, it's cool. It's awesome. M16A2 K-Bar, uh, uh, 9mm, and then other hosts of things, but those are the ones I normally had. Um, 
so we traveled out overseas and uh, was very excited about that. So I would say for the first, uh, living on ship is pretty much like living in the hostel. Only you can't get off. Can't, can't actually, re- actually, recently it's been like living on ship because it's raining outside. So right. much, you know. But you can't, you can't go out and no, get no, a no. bowl of pho if you wanted to. No, 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 you can't. No, <laughs> can't but, you, but you know what? You become more, you, you become so resourceful under those things. Mm-hmm. Like take, uh, for instance, it's hard, we're doing a podcast, so it's hard to put it out there. But uh, this size space that you have 20, 26 marines of us in one space uh, with coffin racks that were like three high. It's really, really, really the craziest of small quarters, which is a really hard. That's programming, too, and you get out when you get back, you know, when you get back to, when you get back to land, you're like a Cro-Magnon at first. You're going to the bathroom with the door open, talking to people you don't know, and all this stuff. You're like, you can't do that anymore. You're not on shit, man. Um, so, we we pumped out. Uh, my two best friends that were in there was a uh, 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 Lance Corporal Quinn. Uh, I was a corporal at the time. I made it up to NCO, and uh, and my roommate was a uh, Hanson, and uh, two of my best friends. Uh, Quinn was like six foot three, two hundred and fifty five pound. He was like twenty one. Oh, he was actually younger than that. Actually, I keep forgetting how young he was. He was like nineteen, and he was like the the boot, but he was gigantic. So he didn't get the same treatment as some of the other new guys because he was like this giant guy. And then Hanson was from um, Nebraska. Uh, I remember when I met him. It was my roommate. Uh, I walked into <laughs> I walked into the room and I saw these this guy sitting there all tattooed. He had a shaved head. He had these glasses on. They were like really dark rimmed we call them BCD devices which they call them birth control <laughs> devices because they were so ugly yeah, yeah. and he was in a rocking chair playing a banjo and this is how I met my my this is how I met Hanson initially and he's like what are you doing man and I was like oh this is probably going to be interesting so that was the, the beginning of that thing so uh, we pulled in there first thing is is we had to pull over to uh, you go into Okinawa Japan you pull in with all your ships. They have to go through. They have to be clean. They have to be inspected uh, before they can go anywhere else. Make sure you don't have anything that's not allowed in that area. It's a four-day process. Uh, it's the first time you can get off the boat. Um, we were at White's Beach, so we didn't really go into like mainland, or if you want to call it that, a mainland. You know, we didn't go further to the Okie yeah, further than island. But we basically stayed on White's Beach. Um, everybody went out. Drank like idiots. You know, you're talking about 19, 18, 19 year old kids. Yeah. We were on the ship for, I think, probably, I don't know, just under 20 days. It took us to get to Okinawa? To get to Okinawa. From California? I think so. Wow. I think so. I'll have to go back and re- remember exactly how long it was, but it was because we, it, we were, there's a certain amount of time that you're on ship where they give you a steel beach party. If you're on ship, I think over 40 something days. Um, you get a, they give you two tickets so they can have two beers, <laughs> and then maybe they'll they'll fly in some sort of like a country act, like Brooks and Dunn would come out or something <laughs> like that. And it's like not all of us like country music, but a lot of them you, do. You, you want to <laughs> talk about the trading for the beer for the little chits? Because some people didn't drink, and we oh. knew who they were too. <laughs> and if you could get six beers into you, you 
be blackout drunk for a week after being on yeah, the I appreciate those beers. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we left there and uh, uh, it's continued on to, after that we went to Hong Kong, which, oh, it's my favorite still. I love Hong Kong. love Hong Kong. And I can only imagine what it's like now because we were, uh, you know, that was quite a long time ago. Uh, when you pulled into the when you pulled into the bay and you looked over to the right and you saw Kowloon side, it was just masses of like buildings being built. It was just like a construction uh, like I had never seen. And then, you know, you get off and went to Hong Kong and uh, all of a sudden I'm in like New York City in the mountains. Oh, I loved Hong Kong. New York City, cheaper. Like, yeah, more like be- beautiful. Because the thing is, I mean, New York has its, has its things about it, but it... I was thinking about this the other day, you know, like, you know, Boston and San Francisco, you know, they have their buildings, but they also, they're really, New York eh, doesn't have too much of that. But I mean, Hong Kong's got that in spades, mm-hmm. especially I, I enjoyed when we went there, we, we took that, that, uh, that bus that goes up the, there's a bus that goes up the mountains and over and brings you to the other side. And then all of a sudden you're in a place that's like what you, a Westerner would consider to be Further like mainland China. Yeah. China. Exactly. Um, but I love there, and uh, per per the huge, uh, per the huge, there's a, you know when whenever you pull into port, and you know you always sat down. You're like, don't go here, don't do this. So this here, the here's list a of video to go. <laughs> yeah, here's a video of what your penis can look like <laughs> if you do the wrong thing. I always thought that was funny because you're ever you're sitting there and you're looking at you like there's no way, and it's like a you know, a bunch of <laughs> 20-year-old testosterone-filled idiots, never mind the Navy guys that are there. You have a port that's waiting for you to come and drink. You know, you ain't been spending your money. You have three days. How do you think that's going to turn out? Well, it generally turned out with us going directly to the places that we weren't supposed to go to, (laughs) somebody being thrown out of a window. Um, I was never really one to get in fights too much or anything like that. I mean, not necessarily back down, but I was never... I tried to stay away from the Marines or the Navy guys that would go out and drink and just want to fight because it was stupid to me. But uh, needless to say, like, that was kind of the way it was. And especially if we went to certain areas and... <clears throat> well, I'll tell you about the Thailand one. We may not even have time to get all these on. Uh, so, uh, so we left there. We were heading to uh, Singapore because we had to pick up uh, chopper blades... Um, uh, actually, I think, did we hit Thailand first? I think we hit Thailand. We hit Thailand first. We hit Thailand first. Then we went to Singapore. Uh, Thailand was its own interesting thing. I actually got a, I was on the ship for one day, and, uh, we were in, uh, Phuket, uh, Patong Beach, and, uh, I had to stay on the ship for the first day that we were there because I had duty. And I came out, and they take us like with a little raft from the big shift from the bay, and we went in. And I remember hitting the beach over there, and uh, going and walking into the town, and all of a sudden I see a woman from my left. She's got a big uh, uh, Burmese python around her neck, walking down. And I look to the right, and I see somebody on the back of like a like a pygmy elephant walking down the street. And I see bars everywhere. I was like, "This is great." <laughs> was like, and all of a sudden, two women come. I was like, "This is the best thing ever." But sounds like it. Well, the long and the short of it is somebody, somebody in my platoon had done something really crazy, um, and I uh, I walked into a situation, and you, they can't see it, but there's a scar over here on my nose, right here. See? 
What was that? What happened? Um, somebody had done something inappropriate or wrong. Uh, this is when you got off of the boat? When I got off. I had just been off for like three hours. Okay. And uh, somebody uh, in my platoon or my... Yeah, he was... No, he's in my, he was in my company. Uh, had ended up being like abusive to one of the girls there. And uh, she ran into the town... And they were in this beautiful hotel. I just showed up to this hotel. And uh, she ran into town and just, you know, told them some Marine did something. So so as this mob of people rolled up, I uh, I had uh, I had just rolled in with with two girls. <laughs> it's a podcast. We'll be with, with, with two women. I was like, this is going to be the greatest time of my life. <laughs> Which probably would have ended up really badly, even worse, had I been able to go through what my intention was. But <laughs> but all of a sudden, I heard all hell break loose, and I was on the ground, and I just saw all these little feet with slippers kicking me in the face. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I look up, I stand up, and it's funny, because at that time, I'm not very tall, but in Thailand, I was relatively tall to, to people. But when you're in shift, all you can do is, like, lift. And so I was in ridiculous shape at the time, so I was like... To my surrounding people, I was, you know, create, but I had my shirt was like completely ripped open and where podcast people, you can't see this right now, but I had a hole in the right nostril, like it was, it was like a flap. And so I had blood pouring all down my, oh. down my, and they jacked you in slippers too. They jacked me in slippers. <laughs> all I saw was, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I remember not hurting. I remember being like, "This should hurt worse." Or I'm glad there were slippers. Yeah. You know, there were boots. <laughs> I would have been fucked. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so we ended up. My buddy, my my roommate came down. He's like, "What's going on, man?" Because that's where I was supposed to meet. So we actually chased this group down the street. We were drunk too. Um, they kept surrounding us. They had these little sticks. And I kept doing, like, Bruce Lee noises, <laughs> being like, whoa. And then they'd kind of come in, they'd hit us in the leg with a stick, and that would suck. And then we'd just move a little bit further. And then we kind of ran into our other group of people and found ourselves in a neighborhood. This was, like, all in, like, you know, we, you know, it just shows how intelligent you are. You're like, you got a group of people pissed at for you in an area, so what are you going to do? You're going to run into their neighborhood all bloodied up and drunk. loud and drunk. <laughs> and, 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 and it's okay. I almost feel like that's the way we go into other countries as far as, like, war is concerned. Yeah, it is. Exactly. Everybody, everything's fine. No, everything's not fine here. You just showed up, man. You, yeah, you just <laughs> showed up. So I remember some guy. I think that's continued. Yep, we're good. Okay, if we did not continue, see, so this this guy came out of his house, and uh, and I was like, sir, everything's gonna. And he pulled out a he pulled out a thirty like a stub note revolver and put it right to my temple. It's amazing how fast I sobered up. My hands went right up. I was like, oh, we're not gonna do anything. And so shore patrol showed up really quick, which I don't even know how. Like, they're just used to Marines and Navy people get like they. That's their whole job. They just go around with these buses and pick us up. So. The people tried to uh, uh, attack us once we got on the bus, and then we got held overnight because it was an assault that was there, so it had to be hauled in there. And if I didn't end up doing anything, I was really upset because I was I was bleeding for two days from my nose. I'm like, why am I in here? <laughs> it's like I didn't do anything. 
So, I'm the victim. <laughs> I'm the victim. That's what I even told my first sergeant, too. And our first sergeant, you got to go up and explain what's going on. And I was supposed to be getting punished. I was like, first sergeant, I can speak openly. I was like, you know. I was like, I didn't do anything. I was like, I'm being punished for getting my ass kicked. It's <laughs> like, because they were going to try to take like $20,000 from like us combined because of all the damage. I was like, I didn't damage anything. I'm the, my damage. <laughs> I feel like Dane Cook. Come feel my damage. Come feel my damage. So, we left Thailand. We were going through, uh, uh, and we were hitting Singapore just to really stop in for like 48 hours just to pick up our chopper blades and uh, go from there. So, and after that, we were going to Perth, Australia, which was, we all wanted to go there. We had these stories, the stories of these these beautiful women standing on the shore with their phone numbers. And, you know, we heard these stories of how Australian women like American men more than Australian men because American men were like Australian men, but still were a little bit more kinder and gentler and stuff. So, you know, you had this idea in your mind of going there and, you know, I'm going to date myself, but, you know, <laughs> like Olivia Newton-John coming over to you and being like, hey, mate, you want to stay? She's Australian? I think she was. I think so. Let's, let's pull that up. Yeah, I we're going to pull that up. I think, I'm pretty sure. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. And she's a, and she's a greaser, too. English-born Australian. So there we go. You Look got at it. it. Look you at me. It. Who needs Google? <laughs> I need Google. I totally need Google. So, yeah. yeah, so you have this vision in your mind of this. And, you know, once again, testosterone-filled knuckleheads. And uh, as right when we leave there, what ends up happening is uh, they pull us into the bottom of the ship. We go down to do a debriefing. And what it ended up happening was is that was the Black Hawk Down incident uh, where they pulled the Army Ranger through the street so we were down getting briefed on it they actually showed us the photo Mm -hmm. and we were going to directly to Somalia so I forget how quickly we got there but the proximity it's not that that far Uh, we got there from Perth no 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 we were on our way we left Singapore and we were on our way like we had just pulled out of port for like less than a day oh, okay I see. when when it came so we were getting ready to head south and i don't know the exact way that we go but Somalia is definitely it's on the the cape right there right, that yeah, little right. horn yeah and so it was sort of we weren't that you know we could go in that direction mm-hmm. So we were like, yeah, no, not so much. Hold your horses, buddy. Here we go to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let me a new job for me. She's waiting on the ah. beach. <laughs> you promised me a living job in my contract. <laughs> the U.S. government yeah. promised me a living I demand this. Where is Jane Fonda when I need her? <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah, so we, we aren't going there, which is, you know, it's, you know, this is where it starts to get weird, though. This is, we realize this disconnect between what's going on and what's really happening. Um, and uh, this was a, you know, crazy, you know, crazy instance. So, we pull there, we're off the shore for like a day. And if you actually see the beginning of uh, uh, Black Hawk Down, you'll see uh, a, a shot where they show a helicopter and he's, going out over the water and you see this like pier this long pier that goes up goes out 
Um, and that's Old Port. That's where we were. We were with the Nigerians in there. But prior to that, uh, we did an, like an assault landing, if you will, on the uh, north of Mogadishu to get my whole unit there. Um, we, if we can back up uh, a lot. I don't think a lot of people know the background of uh, U.S. involvement in Somalia. So oh, okay. Just, like, so this is knock yeah, that out real quick. Well, you know what? Okay. Get out of the way. And, and you know something? We get even deeper into that later because that ends up being a huge thing. Yeah. Well, what it was Operation Restore Hope. I think I believe it was. I believe that was the name. There was the, some operations changed, but basically what they were telling the world and what we were told was, uh, um, uh, General Adib was uh, uh, he was a, a warlord, which is the term that we use, um, and when the UN was trying to drop, drop off food for the masses there, what was happening is his people were going uh, and taking it from wherever it was and then redistributing it uh, to their own needs. So it was, you know, that was the, you know, the driving everybody feel better about what's going on down here type situation. Um, we were feeding people. Making sure, making sure that they making get fed. making sure that they got fed. Like the UN, it was the UN food, right? Yeah, it was the UN food. Yeah. So that's basically what everybody in the US thought. And later on, I'll get into it too. Is part of this little story here, because um, my parents had been saving up newspaper clippings, and they would send care packages. Um, so, let me back up here, too, because this was the coolest thing. Well, it was interesting. So, <clears throat> we there was a number of different ways that you would go on shore doing, uh, you know, a, an assault, if you will. So, we had a helicopters that would bring in, like, Hilo Company. Um, you know, weapons company basically would travel on top of LCACs, which are hovercrafts, um, which are awesome. They're, they're really, really cool. cool. They're, they're really, really cool. cool. <laughs> they're super cool. Um, they're kind of scary if you're if you're like because what we do is we'd have to grape down the vehicle, so you'd have to chain them to the deck of the vehicle, and we could fit twelve. It's either nine or nine or twelve Humvees. It's amazing how this. But we also had LAVs on there too, which is pretty good. So we would come in, we'd come in on the beach on the, on the. Uh, on the LCACs, come right up on the shore and stuff like that. To this day, I still think they're the coolest thing ever. They're so cool. So then you have the helicopters come around, uh, CH-46s and 53s would come around the side, and they'd drop other things over there, and then you had boats coming in, um, you know, and then we had one of our ships, the USS Cayuga, was a gator bottom, and that would actually come up and almost sort of beach itself, and whoever was on there would come out. But I, I remember this so vividly as... Uh, so we we pull out, and as we're going over, I'm getting all psyched, and I'm listening to uh, Locomotive by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Baby's got a locomotive, baby going off the track. And at that time, I had a 50 cal. I, my thing was going to be a 50 cal that was that was in my vehicle, and uh, so we hit we hit the shore, and uh, you know our first thing was to p throw out like a, a you know. 180 perimeter because we were right on the beach for security. So we we pit, pull there. I got Guns and Roses going on. On the you know I'm thinking to myself I'm Animal Mother from you know from uh, you know Full Metal Jacket over here, 
I mean, and, and I mean when you're when you're manhandling a fifty cal and the receiver and stuff like that, you you definitely get silver back gorilla and yeah, the yeah. testosterone yeah it's produced a little more yeah <laughs> and you butterfly clips and you're like this is <laughs> so you get there all of a sudden boom boom mount it right on the top of the vehicle and they had some one eighty perimeter. And I'm looking around, and there's, like, thousands of Somalis right where we were in our paws, or within wherever the security could be. I mean, ultimately, when I look back on it, maybe it was 180-degree perimeter to see if there was any vehicles commenting or anything like that. But there was thousands of people on that beach, which, you know, come and find out later, is a photo op, too. You know, this is... Things that kind of came a little bit after. Mm. But I remember a little kid came over to me. And uh, he was going, American, American, American. And you're like, hey, what's up, little dude? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's kind of what you do. I mean, you're still kind of taking it all in, you know what right. I mean? It's just like, you know, it's a really surreal experience. Um, and uh, so you, I saw all of this, like, money on the ground. Like Somali money, just kind of blowing in the wind, and I had a a broken a broken camera, a broken disposable camera, and the only thing that worked on it was a flash. So I'm kind of conversing with this little kid, and he wanted to look at the camera, and I did the flash, and he liked that it had a flash, and I couldn't use it or anything, so I s sold it to him for like twenty thousand Somali dollars. Just picked it up off the ground and gave me the Somali dollars. You know, I didn't realize I came to find out later that it was like one day all of a sudden, nope, your money's no good. That was my first understanding of what fiat currency was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that was my first. How old were you? I was 20, I think. 20. I think yeah. I was 20. But I mean, it was like all of a sudden it's like one day the money's worth something and now it's not. Yeah. You know, and then I found out uh, the French had been involved in there earlier and stuff. You start finding out the history. So, so you eventually do that. We put our caravan together. We're going down uh, the uh, the coast on our left, and I always tell people the Somali coast is probably one of the most beautiful coasts that I've ever seen, or thought of seeing, or looked at, or uh, you know, aside from the pirates and the infestation of sharks, uh, it's a wonderful place. <laughs> and the um, and the bombings. And the, so so we were going down there, and I remember another thing is as we were going down, we there was. Uh, Two two women walking with a donkey going the same direction, and it was like exactly something that you would see on a National Geographic. You know, so it had carrying something on the head with the donkey, and so we're like, you know, driving by, and all of a sudden I look over to the left, and they were like two of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life, and then all of a sudden my mind flashed to David Bowie and and Amon, uh, yeah. and I was like, oh my god, they all kind of like that. That was a thing I didn't realize till later. Once again. I start realizing about the colonization and how different people have different things. So, yeah. was not socially informed really at that time. So we no internet. As yeah, 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 yeah. And so we we, we get south. Uh, we finally pull into our, our area down there, and then that's where the the real the real fun began. Uh, we went through a. Uh, we were basically there to provide security at the time, so uh, we had a lot of dealings with. Um, there was a real lot of CIA there, and there was a real lot of Army PSYOPs there, and we kind of all worked together, um, and uh, we'd go out, we'd do uh, patrols, or we'd provide security for 
groups that were going. A lot of a lot of times we were providing security for people that were going to meetings. Uh, uh, SEAL Team Five was with us. On I was on the USS Comstock, uh, and uh, we had the commander of SEAL Team Five. A lot of times we'd go with him to certain meetings or something like that. Uh, you weren't always privy to the meetings themselves, but sometimes they would talk a little bit looser than you would expect them to. I don't think they thought many of us were like paying attention. <laughs> but very quickly, very quickly, if you're a person, I always tell people, like, Did, are you upset that you joined? And I'm like, absolutely not. I said, because I've learned things that you, I know, I've seen them. So that was really good for that. But we primarily we grew up, provide security. Uh, you get kind of used to random sniper fire. You kind of <laughs> got used to it. It kind of was, because none of it's real. None of it's real there. Now, for, like, my brother Marines that have been over in Iraq and stuff, that's a whole different bottle of wax. That shit's way too real. You know what I mean? But this yeah. was, uh, you know, we had uh, somebody in my, my company got killed. It was friendly fire, actually. It was really sad because he had had a son uh, that he never got to hold. But uh, it was their own fault. There were 81 mortars in... Um, what they did was uh, 81 mortars, the, you know, the t tubes you drop. Yeah. And it was HEDP round, high explosive, like, kill radius of, like, 15 meters, no good. And they didn't seed it properly. So when it went down, it shot straight up. It came down on where they were. So that was the only person that I was close to that kill killed over there, and it wasn't from anybody. Even though we were shot at all the time, uh, there was another guy, I believe, he wasn't necessarily in my company. I forget where he's from, but... He actually got killed with a slingshot. What? One of those old school, but that goes like 750 miles an hour. If you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, from, so you know what I mean? From who? A Somali. Yeah. You could always, you could, after a while, you could tell who didn't like you and who did. Because there was uh, a slingshot, though. That's yeah. a crazy kill. Yeah, the and 90s. the thing was, the guy had a helmet on. He just had it back like this, and it was enough to just puncture his skull. Fuck. Yeah. Right? You think of all, everything that could happen to you yeah. in a slingshot. Yeah, I didn't think in the uh, 1990s that that never even occurred to me that that could think happen. Think about it. Fuck. Think about it. You want to, especially if you're going through areas where, uh, well, we, first of all, we didn't, we never controlled Mogadishu, ever. It's not one of those places. No, it's not. I mean, so, uh, so what, uh. So you get used to the, the shooting and stuff like that, going through. Uh, the thing that was really scary about theirs is when you were going through the streets and the Humvees. The Humvees are eight feet wide. And so when you were going through, like, really tight areas, sometimes where your window was in the Humvee was where the window to somebody's house is in exact same opposite. So that was the most nerve-wracking thing right there. Because anybody could just pop right up in those windows yeah. and just, you're, that's it. No recourse. We did not have, uh, we didn't have armored Humvees. Mm -hmm. We actually hand-painted them gray. I mean, not gray, uh, uh, beige chocolate chip. We hand-painted them with brushes because the Marines never get really nice stuff. You're always getting hand-me-down stuff. So, I mean, we didn't have any reactive armor and, like, so if they wanted, so that was really scary. So... As time progresses there, you're starting to see a narrative. You're starting to pick up certain things that are going on. And especially, uh, there was this one time where I went to, um, 
I was assigned with the commander of SEAL Team 5 to go to north of Mogadishu. He was going to meet the Pakistanis at something or another. Once again, so the meet, Pakistanis meet. are involved here. Yeah, well. Pakistanis are there. They tried to feed us. They tried to feed us with bread, bread that had these little bugs in it. It was really good. My 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 buddy almost had some, or I was gonna eat it. And he was like, "Hey, I don't know." If, but I mean, they meant for it to have the bugs in it. Yeah. I yeah. wish I eat it now. Now that I think about it, I was would like, have been interesting. I was like, "Fuck no." <laughs> I took it, no and then I went around the corner, and I was like, "I'm not eating it." Yeah, there's no internet as we so, as we know. <laughs> as we're driving up there, we're going. Uh, we're going north. The coast is on our right. And uh, Commander Shield Team 5 looks at me and he goes, he goes, you know why the, goes, you know why we're here, Corporal? I was like, sir, we're here to uh, make sure that people get food and they get fed. And he said, <laughs> he laughed at me for quite a while. He goes, no, we're here to put a U.S. friendly government in place so that when the time comes, we can bomb the fuck out of Iraq. And once again, these are pro these things process themselves more afterwards. I mean, I took that as funny, and then right after that, as if like by magic, I look over to the right, and I see all these broken down uh, Russian MiG jets just sitting out in Africa. And MiG jets are very easy to recognize, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, this was like within just. Within the conversation, it's like serendipity that we went. I don't know if maybe he brought that up. Well, he's, what he, he, he knew that yeah. was going to come up or something. What is the involvement of, of Russia? Well, uh, maybe a, a well Russia had an air base. They had an air base there before. Because if you look at that area strategically, if you think about when we were going to go into Iraq this last time, we were trying to find the base in Turkey. And Turkey wouldn't want to do this. Right. Well... That goes back to what the Commander SEAL Team 5 says. We were trying to secure that region because if you look at it for an air base as a launch point to the Middle East, there's no it's better like strategic. It looks like it's exactly <laughs> where it's yeah. supposed to be there. Yeah. So that's why, you know, that's when you start going in with all these colonizations and you start, the bigger picture starts like, well, people were here before for the same reason. And then you're like, why are we really here, you know? And... All of a sudden, it's like the Americans spotting the, the Russian tanks in Afghanistan in the sand. Like, we are not the first ones here. <laughs> yeah, we're not the first ones to get kicked out either. Yeah, but um, so all of this started processing in my head, and uh, you know, I remember coming back. This is all in my mind, and I think around this time it was around New Year's, because uh, the Nigerians they get the Nigerians get rum from uh, the UN like lots of rum lots of rum and we did not get rum for what reason just I don't know they had enough to get really fucking wasted right but uh they didn't you can't you know what I mean yeah. so it was sort of like I didn't understand why there was so much of it but we we got we got drunk we got drunk we got drunk in the years and that was a really stupid idea because my buddy Miglior, everybody's starting to get emotionally, you know, we'd been there for like a while. I think I was there a total of three months, three and a half months. And uh, so we were out drinking one night with the night. We were out drinking one night in, in Somalia with the Nigerians <laughs> inside our compound in Mogadishu. It sounds so ridiculous. The other thing was this, there was a radio station that we had, we did, the U.S. Armed Forces Radio. 
Oh, the DJ on that station was called, he called himself the Monster of the Moog. <laughs> and that's when the Four Non Blondes song. And I step out, morning and I step outside, and I take a deep breath, and I. That was on constantly, and uh, Ace of Bass. All that she wants is, a, is another baby. And what was funny about that was when we were in Thailand, all the Thai girls were singing that song. Oh, that she wants is another baby. You like this song? Yeah, I like this song. That's funny. That just brought me back. For my three and a half hours of fun in Thailand, that was one of the things that occurred. So, so you know, we, you know, we head back down. Um, and then my uh, commander comes over to me one day. And my driver's name was Gatillus Gut. He was my driver. And he's he's like, you guys need to do another security, another security mission. And uh, we're like, okay. So this was with this is with the CIA now. So the Commander SEAL Team Five have just told me this thing. Like within you know, not earlier that day, but within close proximity to it. And uh, you could always tell who the CIA people were because they had their sunglasses on and they had no nothing on their... They had the same type of uh, camouflage utilities that we had, but not the same. And some would look like moms. You know, at the one we were dealing with looked like a soccer mom. Like, you'd never... Crazy. She's a high-level CIA person in Somalia. You're like, jeez, this is crazy. So what ended up happening was, is just to reinforce what I had been told earlier, is uh, we were told that there was a certain person that they were trying to put into a presidency. Regime change. Here we go. Ooh, this never happens. It happens every day. <laughs> like, regime change. And, you know, they, I mean, there was, there was Italians there, too. It was a multinational force that was there, right. I would say. But most of the combat stuff and all that stuff was... We, we were kind of, you know, in the main force of, of doing that. Uh, but they were like... What's going to happen is you have to be ready to provide security because there's this individual that we're trying to have become president. Now, these are the things that were kind of being said to us that almost didn't need to be said. So you almost wonder, I look back on it, it's like, hey, well, we're going to need you to do this. We need you to do, like, they would have to say even, like, why? Yeah. And I'm a Marine. Just Go over there, stand, point your gun in that direction. Don't let anybody shoot. You know what I mean? You could have done this. And, but they kind of gave Slips us a narrative. Details, they yeah. gave us a, a narrative. And they were like, um, and so, and we were like, well, what time is this going to happen? Like, well, he's going to show up at one of four places, but nobody's going to know until it happens. So he had ne he, he never came. I don't even know who this guy was. But he had never come to our thing. So... After that, I had an interpreter that was with us the whole time. Uh, his name was Muhammad. Imagine that. Um, uh, but he was 15 years old. He had already killed 12 people. And so we would have some thoughtful conversations back and forth. And then one day we were sitting there and, you know, we were talking about certain things. And uh, he used to find these women that would do laundry for us. And so he was like... Um, he goes, your country, you come to our country, and you try to teach a democracy, but we do not live like this. We live in clans, and it has always been this way. So if you take a man, and he is a good man, and you put him in charge, he will still take care of his clan the most, and we will have the same problems we always have. But your country does not care 
as long as he does what he is told. So that was mind-blowing. There's a 15-year-old kid that's breaking down world politics to me. Then he asked me if I knew Mike Jordan and Mike Tyson. Do you, Mike, do you know Mike Jordan and Mike Tyson? I was like, not personally. But it was funny that he, they, he, you know, he knows exactly We went right from that into yeah. Michael Jordan and Mike Tyson. It's important. Like that. He so, knows all the big figures in the world. He's 15 so, I mean, years old in Somalia. Yeah, so I mean, he kind of knew the deal. And it was funny because this was all, this was all, you know, just more information and more information is coming. And we had been on, we had been on the ship and all of a sudden it had been a long time since we'd been able to open our packages from home so I had all the newspaper clippings and so I have all the newspaper clippings that are near and I'm reading what we're doing over there and I'm like that's not that's not a thing it's not a real thing you know and so uh, and then after that probably uh, you know what solidified the entire experience uh, prior to us leaving uh, we were in an op once again, these are always north of Mogadishu. Never south. I don't think I ever went south of Mogadishu. Or you went north. And what we were doing is, is we were, I think we were doing security for a region, but what we were doing was herding people into their village. They lived in like a round encampment north of there. And we were herding them. You know? And this is, I was starting to have internal feelings like, I don't, know about this <laughs> you know yeah. and uh like the black storm trooper in star wars yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I, I don't know and most of the people i serve with now this is the thing most of the people i serve with like these are great people and anybody that keeps going into the, and, and re-enlisting into the marine corps or keeps especially under these war circumstances isn't necessarily and this is why i get irritated with people that are like you know they're not thoughtful and they just want to talk shit about military people yeah. a lot of times they go and you know, and especially now you can do your research a little bit better, but a lot of people go in with really good intentions. It's just like doctors. Most doctors become doctors not to become slaves of the HMOs, you know? Mm -hmm. right? Their spirits get broken on the way, and then they become part of the machine, but that's, yeah. that's a Politicians story. as well, some people... Yeah, yeah, them. exactly. Nobody goes in and says, I'm going to try to be a piece of shit. Well, some do, but, you know, not most. So, as we were hurting these people, and I was on the top of the Humvee, and Gut was my driver... And uh, that's, I had my uh, M16A2 at that point in time. I didn't need to. Because you're not supposed to shoot at people with 50 cals. Uh, you can shoot at their equipment, though. That was an interesting thing that I found out later. You know, like, what equipment? I'm like, well, technically, you know, canteens and, you know. And if you shoot at somebody... With a 50? You, well, there was, a, there was the Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle that was yeah. used primarily for, you know... Uh, you can take out tanks with that thing. You can take out tank tracks. You can take out, like, armored. But you can also, you know, I heard a story of story of uh, somebody I knew uh, shooting at a guy's RPG while he was holding it. That's, uh, that's how you turn people into hamburger meat. Well, it only needs to come within 10 inches of you to completely just... Yeah. You know, that's, you even the, even, 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 the even the operator. The, yeah, it, uh, there's a lot of force behind that. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the first time you'd ever shoot one of those things, that's why you're better off doing the butterfly clips like this. Because mm -hmm. if you do, if you do the other one where you can kind of rest, or with the because the Barrett's really light. It's only yeah. 15 pounds. But that kick and it's quick. Yeah, it's just like getting punched. That's how it makes it Tyson. out there. Yeah, yeah. That's how um, it it out there. So, the really crazy thing about that was there was there was this one guy that had went to uh, the entrance, everybody else did it, and he turned around and he looked at me, and he just stared at me with this, like, 
hatred. You know, I, and I've never been a hate. I'm not a hatred person. You know what I mean? I tried not to, to, to do anything like that. So he stared at me with this this crazy amount of hatred. And this this was this was the this was the hardest thing to deal with out of the whole entire thing. And so at that time, it gave us little things on how to say certain things in Somali. So Somali, which I forget how to do it. I wouldn't like, you know, go in your fucking place. <laughs> go in there. Go the Don't fucking side. And so he wasn't listening to me. And he wasn't very far away. You know, he was like, I was on top of the vehicle and he was probably about 20 feet. Really close. He's got a black, he's got his black, like, black, like, robe on mm -hmm. And he starts slowly, as he's looking at me, putting his hand into his robe thing. Slowly. And I'm like, and smiling, I'm like, don't fucking do that. You yeah. know? Whatever I was saying, I was saying it. And so this, it seemed like it took like a thousand years for this process to happen. So he's slowly going in, I'm telling him not to. My driver's going crazy. And he's like, fuck this shit, man. He's like, light him the fuck up. So at that point, I had the, I had the saw out there. So I pulled the bolt to the rear, which all my other weapons were loaded and just had the safety on it. But you can't do that with the saw because that bolt comes forward and like there's at least four or five rounds gone. So, so pulling the bolt to the rear is step one of this. Yeah. Take off the safety and... Oh, it's giving me chills right now. I don't know what <laughs> So, and I'm looking at this man's face through the sight of my weapon. <laughs> I can't even express <laughs> what that was like. All of a sudden there was a, this is somebody's father, son, uh, uncle, child. You know, it was just, it was just weird that we that I was locking eyes and like souls with this guy through the aperture on my weapon and his hand was still slowly going in there and I crossed that line where I was gonna blow his head off if I felt I needed to it seemed like forever my heart stopped my breathing though from from shooting stuff like that went into some sort of like a weird calm and I was slowly pulling back slowly pulling back and he pulled out a water bottle and he turned around and walked into his encampment <laughs> and I just and I just uh, yeah you know what I mean like that was and uh and then we left I think we left within we left within two weeks of there so I mean that was one of those I mean a I would say the experience over there was definitely showed about, you know, propaganda. Uh, you know, there's always another reason when we're starting to wave the freedom flag or something like that. I can't think of another place. And I think this goes for, I don't know, all militaries. I don't know how, uh, you know, at that point I was like, I don't understand how we're going to kill somebody's father or, you know, make a, make a, uh, orphan of somebody and how that's ever going to end up to peace so on the on the way back on the boat what i would like to do is, is uh i would like to take a book and at night when it was lights out i would go all the way to the back all the way to the back and there was this little nook on the side that i could sit and it was really really quiet um 
and it was really, really quiet there. And uh, I would try to read, or if I couldn't read, there was like some silence. So this, so all that stuff was being processed in my mind. The other thing is time had gone by. You know, uh, it was really difficult to process these things. The other thing that was even it was a very awful year for me. Uh, there's an anniversary is coming up right now too, because on the 25th of March is when I got back. Uh, we were taking all of our gear off of boats. Um, I, I had gotten married right before, right before I had left too. So it was very eventful. And uh, I went to pull my, um, all of a sudden these, bring these big crates up that have your sea bags in them and stuff. And uh, we were back on Camp Horner was where I was. And then all of a sudden somebody had run over to me and they said, uh, uh, you have to go see the first sergeant. You have a Red Cross message. And a Red Cross message is, uh, somebody's dead. That's what that means. Mm -hmm. I deduced my grand grandmother, you know, the oldest. My great-grandmother was older and stuff. And so I go up to the first sergeant's uh, office, and he asked me, he goes, are you, you know, are you Dennis Uvendel's son? I said, yes. He goes, well, I regret to inform you that he died at 5.20 this morning. The so I didn't even get to take my shit off the... The day you arrived. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, we pulled in port that night, but the next morning, mm -hmm. we were that's when we were going to be moving in. So I didn't even get to move into my room before I was like on a plane, you know, back home. So... That's so jarring to be... Well, I just didn't even know, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, like, the, the little stability that you thought was happening, like, you, all of a sudden I learned a lot. I grew up real fast over there um, and, uh, you know, saw how things really worked. And it was just weird, like I had told you, like, each each thing reinforced the fact that, you know, I mean, because it's really easy, especially memory, going back, you don't want to, like, put things together in order to, you know, make something up that appeals to you. So there was just, like, thing after thing after thing that showed that what went on. So I would say, and one of the things that was crazy about it is, too, is just, like, the build-up to this past Iraq war. Not that I'm a fan of Bush <laughs> or Cheney. I will say this, though. Donald Rumsfeld is a great evil person. If I were to cast an evil person... It's... it's yeah. You watch... Have you seen the, the recent film uh, by Errol Morris? It's from like two, three years ago. It's um, He did uh, Fog of War with Robert McNamara. Mm -hmm. He did another one with Donald Rumsfeld. Um, I think I, I might it's called It's called Unknown Known. Yes, The Unknown Known. Oh, yep. man. And when you see that man smile... When he's like, he's like, yeah, I did this. Yeah. He, he's sort of like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know? And then you put in the thing that Dick Cheney does not have a heartbeat. He's It's kind of crazy. But the thing is that, you know, as everybody's going back and forth and going crazy about the build-up of the war and everything like that, I know from personal experience that we were never not going to do that. It was just everything falling into place. And then you see the larger manipulation of, you see the larger manipulation of populations and how people get all up into an uproar and stuff. So that was a hard thing for me too because I, I've had to find a balance um, of, uh, especially under those circumstances. I was ill-equipped because I was so emotional about it as things were going on 
to pass off this information, being like, you guys aren't looking at the right thing here. You know, you guys are like, that's you know, insane. that's what the whole Saddam Hussein is like. He has nothing to do with anything. It's not, you know, oh, you letting Saddam Hussein, and then, you know, you do the Fox News thing where it's like, you know, Bill O'Reilly's like, so what you're saying is we should let terrorists kill people. No, nobody's saying that. Why are you nobody's saying, saying, saying these that. words? Yeah, nobody's saying that. Like, Why are you putting these sounds yeah, together? No, no, to nobody <laughs> said anything so like that. I so what you're saying is that no, nobody's saying that at all. I think I, I was I was in like fifth grade. And we're like yeah, great, go get the guys who yeah. did two thousand uh, two thousand one got us and they got away. I didn't know shit. I don't know where Iraq was. I don't know. It's the fifth grade. Well, I, that became... Imagine, I'm trying to imagine for you. It's like fuck. Stop. Everyone, stop moving. Just chill. Well, then we but then we do go into then we do go into that. Then we do go into nine eleven and you know the build up for that for me. I knew. Yeah. I knew something was wrong. Because there's just like, you know what I mean? Because you were in Africa, like, so, like... Well, you just know, well, you know, you, with that... Bin Laden was training in Sudan, right? Well, yeah. I knew it because, I knew there was something wrong because very quickly there were so many protocols that were broken on that day. You know what I mean? There's sort of NORAD and the stand. But, I mean, inside you're like, you know, nobody wants, nobody wants to... Nobody wants to hear that there's... I always tell people this about that one right there. I say, listen, nobody's saying anybody particular did anything. The only thing I'm saying is, is the narrative is not right. The 9-11 Commission is... It, uh, yeah, it's not... Someone's ass is being covered. Y yes, yes. And I mean, and you look at the build-up of that. But I mean, so... So yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, uh, I think... <laughs> wow, that's funny we got to this point. Uh, so, uh, people are just, people are just reactive, and they've learned how to, like, uh, you know, play off of people's reactions. And I think the sad thing is, is within these reactions, I mean, you'll have your people that demonstrate against war, and you have your people that, you know, fight against war and stuff like that. I just feel like we need to find a better way to uh, deal with this. I think we are making strides. Go Bernie Sanders. Go Bernie Sanders. Just no interventionalism. Come on, stop it. Um, that's the first step. It's to uh... first step is to get the money out of us. Like that's one of those things as far as the politics goes. It's like there's that's another thing too. Is no military is ever involved in a situation that they can't benefit for. You know, benefit from. You know, even though money is not real. Well, that's the, the reason, commodities. You know what I mean? Finding a way fighting to, anyway. There's, yeah. If there's nothing to gain, there is no fighting. Yeah. What's well, the big money machine? The big fake money machine, which just ends up being control. It's like, hey, uh, that's my friend laughs at me when uh, uh, he's like, oh, these kids these days with these video games, and and I was like, yeah, it can be pretty bad. I said, but they can also be really good too. He's like, how can they be really good? My son, son's playing, uh, you know, Call of Duty, or he's playing something with uh, somebody from Russia. Like, one of his really good friends that he plays video games with that talks to all the time is from Russia or Brazil. So the world's set. gotten, yeah. the world's gotten, it was so much easier to do the, to do the, uh, uh, to, to do the, uh, you know, Sourman line, you know, they've taken your land, they've taken, go, you know, turning people in the works. And now it's like, you know, when you tell people, you know, I grew up during the Cold War thing, the Russians are evil and stuff like, really? I don't know. My buddy kind of doesn't really want to kill us. 
Yeah, my buddy taught me how to do pickle shots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's like, he, he, the sad thing is, is none, none of the people that have to fight are the ones that want to fight. So I've come to the conclusion we should give all the people that want to fight swords. <laughs> no, seriously. We, there's a place in the Marine Corps called 29 Palms uh, where you're allowed to go up there and blow up stuff, which is... Awesome, by the way. <laughs> I did a thing called CAS before, which is close air support, where you actually sit up, two-man team, you sit up in the rocks, and you uh, you uh, call in coordinates to, uh, to you know, a jet that's going to bomb, and there's this thing called a chalk to drop out there that everybody does it on. But you get the coordinates. It's like, and he's like, I'm in the pop. Roger that, roger that. You are in the pop. You are cleared hot, cleared hot. In the pop is when the, he's... Inverted, looking at his thing, and you come around. And stuff. Yeah, so that was one of my favorite things to do. So it goes back and forth, but let him go up there with swords. Let him go up there with sticks. I always thought to myself, if you take all the people that want to fight, and you uh, stuck them in a field, and you paired them up with somebody, and you're like, gave them, made them wear tidy whitey underwears, and gave them a thing of like Aquafresh toothpaste. And they just have to give each other toothpaste wedgies until the other one gives up. <laughs> How many people would just say, you know what, I'm not Fuck that it. mad. I don't want to do yeah. this. Yeah. But I if I can drone it, shoot you, yeah. that's easy. I think when it comes down to it, that's, if, you, if you learn what it's like to fight, then you don't really want to get involved with the fight. Well, that's martial arts. Martial arts, exactly. It needs to stop fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got up on our time. That was amazing. Really, really, yeah. yes. I, that, that took me places, man. It took yeah. me. It took me places. Like, oh my god! All of a sudden, there's a rush coming back. Yeah. So, thanks for sharing your story. Awesome. And, uh, happy to thanks do for it. being on the podcast. Awesome.